further ado now, I'm going to give you our final speaker of the day. And when Amir is done speaking, he's going to show you some amazing toys in the back. And uh, this is our VP of technology here at Cal State Fullerton. I first heard him speak in a marketing meeting, and I had to pick my jaw from the ground because he, he, you know, he's not just an amazing speaker, but he knows the future. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, here's Amir. Thank you, 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 director of the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at Cal State Fullerton's Mihalo School of Business and Economics. Join me today as we debunk the myths of the social sector. We will cut down the weeds and clear your path for organizational growth. Here's a social sector myth for you. Technology doesn't really affect us that much. A bullshit. <clears throat> Pardon me for sneezing. Technology is changing faster than ever with the advent of the internet, and it can be our friend or our foe. The way it impacts us will depend on if we are willing to saddle up and ride it or just get run over by it. Today, on 501c3BS, we are visited by the ghost of tech future. It may sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor, but it's actually Amir Dabirian, the Vice President of Information Technology and Chief Information Officer at California State University Fullerton, where the Gianneschi Center is located. He knows the future, and he told us at our G3X conference last August. First of all, everything you think of as being part of the near future is actually in the rear view. He showed us a video made in 2014 showing the amazing future we would have in the next 10 years. And then he froze the screen to show virtual reality, augmented reality, autonomous cars, and then said, So if you do any of these things on the left, you're already five years behind. <laughs> okay. If you do anything on the right, you're doing everything on a laptop. You're only as good as 2014. So what is coming up for us? Well, first, we have to start with what we all know, that we're addicted to our phones. Even the homeless have smartphones now. So data is huge, and I mean huge, as in zettabytes. All right, another question comes, what is zettabytes? <laughs> How many guys know what zettabytes is? So it's more than a thousand gigabytes. It's after a bunch of bytes. Is it a gigabyte of gigabytes? It's more than a gigabyte of gigabytes. Gigabytes of a gigabyte of petabytes. Oh, okay, you got petabytes. Exabytes. Zettabytes. A zettabyte is a thousand exabytes or a million petabytes a billion terabytes, or a trillion gigabytes. Soon, we will have 5G on our phones. Because what they're calling 5G, what we think we have as 5G, is not real 5G. Real 5G will process data on our phones faster than the fastest Wi-Fi networks, and it's coming. And our lives will be completely automated within 20 years. First, the cars. Autonomous cars. There are five levels of autonomous cars. That's coming. Okay, level zero is you, and level five is you sitting as a driver's seat, a passenger seat, and the car drives. So they're estimating in 20 years that level five 
will be predominant across the U.S. in 20 years. That's what the estimations are. So by 2040, they're looking at a level five driving cars. By 10 years, they're predicting level four driving cars. Right now, Chevrolet and Ford are working on level four driving cars, okay? Level three, we're gonna come out in a year, 2021. I, I don't count, 2019 is out. I just wanna let you know, 2019 is out. <laughs> okay, so when I say year, I'm talking about 2021. So level three is coming. So what is this, what, what does ADS mean? Anybody knows? Autonomous driving system. Automatic driving system. Okay, but what is ADAS is? Automatic driving assisted system. So it's the assisted. So what you see today, level one and twos are lots out there. Basically that, that actually computer assist you, right? You go in a lane, they pull you back, right? It stops automatically, so assist you. But when you look at number three, it's really is fully control of the car. And Tesla has it, but it's not as good as what is gonna come out in 2021. And at the level four, it's perform all function, all situations. Another thing we've been looking at cities, they're looking at actually these things talk to each other. So if you have one car coming, right, the second car knows if they are in the same systems, actually knows where they're coming. One of the problems with human driving is what? Everybody's coming at all directions, and we have to guess where, what the speed of everybody is to be able to control the car. When everything is known to each other on a common network, they, they, all the accidents go almost to zero. And today, we don't really have many farmers left in the world because farms are running themselves. Another thing about agriculture is new. The, art, the average age of farmers in U.S. is what? 62. Average age of farmers is 62. Look at the population of the world is going. It's going to be 11, by 2100, it's going to be 11.2 billion. The middle class is growing by 2030 in U.S. This is in U.S. So, not in the U.S., I'm sorry, in the world. 4.9 million billion. What does that mean? What does the middle class do? Why does that matter to agriculture? There's no farmers. Hmm? No more farmers. No, no more farmers. What other things? They have a higher buying power. Okay? The amount of protein consumptions has gone up by 15%. Okay? So how do we manage these things? Well, the farming is now completely become autonomous. Okay? It used to be when you have 200 acres of a land, right, you can only get about 100 acres of it out with, that, with a good crop, okay? About 50%. Why? If you look at wheat, mm -hmm. overwatering, bacterial infections, when you get, you, you, all of those things cause issues for not having a good crop. So what they do now, out of 200 acres with new technologies, 195 acres of it produce the best wheat possible. Because the autonomous now know how to water, 
It knows the weather forecast. It knows what level of bacteria it has, so how much it will you know, fumigate the, the ground. and the, So it has every single possible thing. So now they can actually, the farmers are more computer savvy. So you, you, you can't call them rednecks anymore. <laughs> because they're not really in the farm. The farm happens without. So there are more of them in there. Here's another stats for you. By 2025, 2020, farmers will be having 75 million connected devices. Okay? After 4.1 million data points every day, just in the farms. Okay, I'll give you another example, an example of what technology has done for farming. In Africa, corn, right? Corn, if you look at corn, right, it has full of vitamin A. Corn that grow in Africa has zero vitamin A. They take the same seeds, they take them and put them in Africa, no vitamin A. What in the US they have done, they changed the DNA of the corn. And now the corn in Africa produced three times the vitamin A that it does in the US. What about immersive technology? We got a chance to try virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality, or HoloLens, in the room after Amir's talk. You can actually watch a video of that on the Gianeshi Center YouTube channel right now. Immersive technologies, the AR, MR, and VR. There are three concepts, right? You look at virtual reality. Those of you who put the goggles on, you can see where you are. How many guys seen? How many guys try virtual reality? If not, please go and give it a try here. You'll be amazed what you can see. Augmented reality. For those of you who played Pokemon Go, how many guys did that? That's kind of augmented reality. Okay. And of course, the, the mixed reality is is what the Hololens gives you, which basically is a virtual reality with augmented reality combination of those. Um, and we'll show you what Hololens can do. We have a little example of this right in a second. To show you. Uh, I think it's going to be huge for our organizations because a lot of us smaller organizations can't afford sites, can't afford space, exactly. and we can work with and mentor clients through exactly. VR. Exactly. Also augmented. You know, it doesn't have to be fully VR. Right. So if you have big augmented reality, right, you could do that. So one of the areas that we're looking at, how do we do a mixed mode <coughs> environment, right? How do you do a mixed mode environment about? Many people are creating virtual reality classrooms now. We don't like online classes because you can't interact with your professor or classmates in real time. But a VR classroom changes all that. USC VR Lab created VR classrooms for the Army where soldiers in Kandahar can take a class from a teacher in DC with students at bases all over the world. And once you put on the VR headset, you are in the class together, interacting like it's a real classroom, like you're in a physical space together, or at least your avatars are. We talked about this. So colleges should stop having capital campaigns for new buildings. <laughs> I think, I, I, I think, well, I cannot say that. Stop capital campaigns for VR. VR, right, right. The question becomes is I think everybody's learning is different. Mm -hmm. Modes are different. Mm -hmm. Some people like it in individual. The concept of networking with each other and the social aspects of it, 
you know, you still need the environment for social aspects of it. But the people is also time. I mean, if you are, let's say you work until seven o'clock at night in Irvine and you need to come to the campus, it's very hard to get onto campus. Mm -hmm. It's easier to go put a VR lens and, and, and do the class automatically. Right. But yeah, the social thing is important because those of us who work, we work in the social sector and a lot of our things are about getting people to meet, meet like interact, museums right. and right. concerts and, you know. Right, right. Yeah. How do we bring the social aspect of it? So you can do the teaching aspects of how to bring the social aspects of it together. I mean, one of the things, my, my classes, I teach, I teach for about 45 minutes to an hour, but the rest is going to be work together. Because that working together in the groups is actually more powerful, you know, and the results are fantastic. You know, it's it's the result we get, I get out of my classrooms are amazing from my students looking at uh, marketing analytics. AI is making digital twins to do surgery on a patient in one city by a surgeon in another part of the world, and it's happening now. Digital twins is another concept that's coming, and this is not just for replication. So when you're looking at a physical space, right, digital twin shows you this, really digitally the second state of particular physical space. What they use digital twin today is for medical fields. Right now, actually, they use digital twins to be able to do surgeries across. So a lot of the, like the ships now, the surgeon, they have no surgeon on a ship. If you're looking at, at, a, at any of the military ships. So what they do, they actually use digital twin concept to actually do surgeries on devices remotely across so they can have those done remotely. So digital twins are something that's going on across the world. With all this new technology, what about privacy? So, yeah. so really, how private are you? I mean, everybody have digital profile. Be careful about your digital profile. I tell people, you are not in a world that is not secure. Privacy is very, very hard to keep in this world. So be careful how you do it. There's a GDPR, those of you who understand, most of you heard about GDPR. In, in, in Europe, they came out with uh, a rule called GDPR. What it does is that anybody can request all their data be deleted from any system, if they want to, right? But the problem is it's almost impossible to delete it. Every time, every time you do anything, you pick up your phone, right? What's gonna happen? For every five seconds, there's a signal going to what? To the tower in AT&T, if you using AT&T, or tower to Verizon, and tells you exactly where you are on the camera, trying to scan this. Not that they know where you are, they know what you do. Your screen times. We talk about 177. How many of you guys check the screen times on this? <laughs> okay. Now, they just reported to me that I had 12% less screen time than last week. <laughs> and it was three hours and 50 minutes. That's 12% less. So four hours a day I was in this little thing, plus the other things I'm on. So, so it is. So, so whenever you do any kind of screen times, all of those goes to all sorts of different, what I call them is breadcrumbs. All of you do a lot of breadcrumbs. Every time you use any kind of a digital equipment, you're actually putting breadcrumbs of your profile in that particular digital equipment. 
And all the digital equipments connect to the cloud. So that breadcrumbs goes into the cloud someplace. And what they do with it, we don't know. Weather.com just recently was sued because it will keep track of your GPS every time you ask weather anywhere. Then they change their policy that says you have to accept that they're gonna do that, right? If you wanna see the weather. How many people wanna see weather, right? Everyone, yeah, right? You don't read the policy anywhere. Right, nobody sees the policy anywhere and they look at the also coming. So again, be careful you're on the internet. Privacy doesn't exist. So, and uh, India, here's, here's, a, here's a good example of this. Cybercrime cost worldwide economy in 2019, $2 trillion. Okay? Average cost of the stolen record is $158. $158. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. These insurances that you can buy online against identity theft, are they worth anything? No. Because when they, they really get your identities, right, what they're going to do? It's very hard to do anything to it unless you clean and hold things up. People have gone through it. So what I said, you have to be careful. You have to stop it before it happens. So I recommend people get in TransUnion or any of those services that anytime anybody create any accounts against your social security numbers, they get reported. Then you get reported. So the minute you get reported, you stop them. So you need to stop these identities right at the beginning of it before they go on. What's it called? TransUnion? TransUnion, there's identity, identity, identity guards, all of those things. What they do is they take your SSN and the minute any of the services create any kind of a credit on your account, you get a notification. And if you created it, of course it's fine. But if somebody else created it, immediately you know. And it doesn't hurt your credit score to, to do that. No, because all it does is it, it, the minute it happens to it. So that's my recommendation for identity. Let's hear from Amir about quantum computing. Okay, quantum computing. Have you heard about quantum computing? Okay, quantum computing, those of you have not heard it, it uses a different type of computing. What you know today is called a traditional computer process or computing. What it does is it uses a concept called bits. Okay, what is a bits? A bit is something, it's a light that's on or off. Uses it on and off. Uses a binary way of doing anything. For example, if you want to look at a character, an A, is, it uses eight bits to define what A is. Okay? So everything is stored by the concept of bits. You have billions and billions, that's what you got gigabits, right? Gigabits, megabits, terabits, right? And then you got bytes. Byte is one, eight bits is one byte. So it seemed like a dog commercial, you know, kibbles and bits and all that, so you remember that. So, so, it's, so one byte is eight bits, right? When you're talking about transferring, they talk about transferring bits. So bits is very, very, very low number of units that you use, and the computing it uses concept called one human machines. One human machines are really sequential machines that execute a process. You can have lots of these one humans to do a parallel, but it uses the same concept. This was developed hundreds of years ago, 80 years ago. The concept was developed in about 50 years ago. It was kind of got perfected. Now you see what you have today. 
quantum computing is non-classical computing. It uses something called quantum state of subatomic particles. Okay, atomic particles. What it does is it can store every quantum bits is qubits. It uses qubits. And the qubits can store a lot more state of something than it is a bit of a computer does. So it uses a different way of storing information and executing information. Give you an example of that. Classical computer can read a book in a library, one book at a time, right? Quantum computer can read the entire library at the same time. Does a lot of things in parallel. And it can store something is very complex things in one bit. Instead of in regular computers, it needs zillion bits to store a state of computer. So it can solve a lot of problems. It can actually solve things in, at the speed of lights. So it is coming. They already have quantum computing built, but it's very complex to build it right now. So we're looking about 10 to 15 to 20 years, those are coming. Once they come, there's a lot of things going to be changing. You know, things like chemistry problems, it requires about 100 to 100 qubits to solve a problem, okay? You're looking at optimization, 100 to 1,000 qubits to solve. You're looking at machine learning, 100 to 1,000 qubits. So you can see the numbers are very low and the process is gonna be astronomical. So I wanna tell you, just wanna give you a glimpse of this. So if somebody tells you what is quantum computing, it's really a parallel processing computer that uses non-classical and uses what's the subatomic particles to be able to store information. What is multipath for wireless AI? And why should we care? There's a new concept coming called multipath for wireless AI. Okay, let me tell you what this is, and I'll give you a little video for it. <coughs> GPS, what does GPS do? How many guys know about GPS? What does GPS do for you? It just tracks everything you do. It tracks everything you are. What is the GPS accuracy? Accuracy. Accuracy. Oh, it's, it's about anywhere from 20 to 100 feet. Depending how many devices you got, the more devices you can triangulate, you can actually make them smaller. By default, it's 100 feet if you have one GPS. If you have multiple GPS, it could be 10 to 20 feet. How about inside the rooms? How do I know where you are or somebody else's? It's very hard to find out, right? Yes, you know, by giving them a device. If I give you a device, you walk around, I can track where you are, okay? Now, the new technology just came out about a year, year and a half ago, and now becoming perfected into that hybrid called multipath. What multipath does, it uses two regular wireless. You know what a wireless is, right? Wireless beacons. You know what a wireless beacons are, right? You have it in your house. How many of you guys, how many wireless access points you got in your house, one, right? Mm -hmm. An average car has two wireless access points. Most large houses have two or three wireless access points. With two wireless, regular wireless access points, this technology uses what we call multipath. I'll show you, I'll actually go through a little video that shows you exactly what it does. What it does, it uses a frequency that can pinpoint where you are in one to two centimeters. It can, track, it can track your breathing at sleep. 
how many times you actually breathe at your sleep. Because the one can move your chest movements. Okay? It can track somebody falling. It can actually track your profiles because it knows everybody's the amount of water consumption in everybody's body is different. So with two regular wireless, with this technology, now you can do security, human bioactics, wireless. You can breathing rates, fall down, communication, location tracking, event detect, whole bunch of things you can do with this new technology. It's gonna revolutionize the way we do things in the next five to 10 years. Blockchain is changing everything too. Blockchain, most of you heard about blockchain. Have you heard about Bitcoins, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody heard about Bitcoins? Mm -hmm. Okay, blockchain technology, if you don't know, let me explain to you what I call blockchain 101. What it does is, it, it, it's, it's between me and a network of people, okay? So I can do transactions. Most of transactions happens how? When you do bank transactions, what happens? You have an account, right? Mm -hmm. Where is your account? With a bank, right? Your credit card companies, right? So what happens? Whenever you spend money, what happens to that account? It's debited, it's debited right? Yes. Okay, or you can credit, right? Mm -hmm. Who has that? The bank, mm -hmm. right? In a blockchain, transactions happen across the network. And it's a secure transaction across the network, okay? You have control of your transaction, your money. But when you actually send a transaction, Everybody gets to see that transaction ledger. The ledger is common. The ledger is common among everybody. So it doesn't have a one bank keeping. Its ledger is common. And you have a control of your own ledger. So, so you, let's say there's a, a million dollar in the universe of you have a ledger, right? That million dollar transfer between everybody in that network, right? Go from the merchant, customers, and back and forth. Let's talk about one million dollar. And everybody, when it, the transfer happens, right, everybody knows where that transfer went. Mm -hmm. And you have security with that person. So I get to pass money to you. I don't need a bank to pass the money to you. So now you have secure transaction from you on a network. So what is that that makes us available if you take banking away? If you take banking away, just look at educational application. How many times? If you go to an employer and says, I need a copy of the transcript, what happens if you blockchain all the transcripts in the world? So I can just give it to an employer. You have accredited, you have a copy of your own transcript certified with you that can transfer to your employer. Think about healthcare. You go to a doctor today. Who has the control of all your medical history? The doctor does, the physician does, and the hospital too. You don't have it. If the blockchain network of health happens, you have all of your medical information to you that you can transfer to a doctor in two seconds and they can have access to it. But does everyone else on the blockchain also have your medical no. information? No. Because you're the one that gives permission. You have encrypted data in high encryption between the two transactions. So you're the only one can give the transaction to you and somebody can get it. Think about how 
the world can change if the data you have belongs to you and you have control of it and you have certified and you give it to anybody rather than having your data be available to everybody else. What about people who could break into People talk about privacy and poisoning of the blockchain. That's why there's a high encryption in there and you control that. You have to control it. But people can do that with banks too. You can do that in banks. The, the secure, actually, it's, it's less likely less likely that somebody have access to yours. The, the breaking of it, if it was designed properly, is a lot less than any other breakings we have. The technology, though, isn't as strong yet there to protect right, all this information? It, it, it is. It is. It depends how you implement it. Because, like, for example, my dad in his company had $100,000 mm -hmm. um, that a client owed him. A third party went into his email system and chain. They replicated an email and sounded exactly like my dad. Right, right, but, it looked but, like an email, and the money was transferred to Bitcoin, I think. Right. So what like it is? Bank. Right, right. What it is is the, the technology is encrypted and secure. The way the technology used mm -hmm. is insecure. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful. Email systems are not secure. Yeah. By default, it was not designed. The internet came. I can, right now. I can generate an email. Send it from anybody to anybody in this state. And you have no idea I sent it. You think it was from you to you. Right. Same account, same information, same account, same information. No, have no trace of what you do. I've done it many times. <laughs> <laughs> so email by default is not secure. So people think email is secure, but email is not secure. Actually, it's very hard to, yes? So, I'm going to find the the best of times, so this sounds great. What, what worries me is more, um, you know, when you become the arbiter of all of your information, you also become responsible for all of that information. And in a very complex world that we live, like a lot of the institutions that we have around us that kind of manage that data are also dealing with regulations that set up of that all, and they know all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if a solicitor comes to me and says, I want this information from you, I want this amount from you, or whatever, and you don't you, as an individual, cannot possibly know all the rules and regulations but, on everything. They so, might not so, be telling you everything. So it's informed consent is what we're talking about. So, so let, let me tell you what the way new technology is going. There will be brokers to broker breaking in your behalf, behalf. For example, you can have company XYZ that have control of your medical information. You have company what, you know, that has your key and your information. Okay, So you do not... You give the access to, but the company in your behalf does the sending and receiving and does the regulations and all that stuff. So that's where they're going in the future. The future are brokers that will handle that piece of this. It's not you as an individual, but you're the one that give them the access to do. So those brokers would feasibly sit in the middle of it. If you tried to give it to somebody, they'd go, actually, you're not supposed to do that. Exactly. And know about regulations and all that. So, so you, you do not have enough you know, knowledge base to be able to handle your medical record properly. But now, just to have your entire medical record in one place, that you be able to un pick a button to transfer from thing will change the way your health life is going to be, rather than being in part of a network of doctors and so forth. So this blockchain will revolutionize what we do. And let's hear about smart spaces and the Internet of Things. Smart spaces. <laughs> smart spaces that are IOTs. There are, you know what IoT is, right? Mm -hmm. The IoT is called Internet of Things. 
There are anything that connected to internet. Those of you at your home, how many guys can use your smartphone to open up your garage door? How many guys use smartphone to actually see who is behind the doorway? You know, seeing the rain or change your temperature. All of those devices that connect to internet, they can be accessed remotely called IoTs. Anything that a device that connects to internet, called internet of things, anything. And there are thousands, a camera in your house. How many guys, you see the baby cameras, right? You can go look at your baby camera, that's IoT. So IoTs are everywhere now. Cities now have tons of IoTs. Now, this is, a, this is directly from a chief technology officers of city of LA. City of LA is not becoming one of the smart cities. They are deploying millions of IOTs across the cities, from a camera, from energy systems, from, you know, you're looking at air quality, public, everything is now coordinated and connected. Now you can link everything and understand the behavior of everything on a university, in a city and be able to artificially, to using artificial intelligence, to really make your city a better place by looking at everything across the board. I'm coming back to privacy issues in a second, what you're gonna say. Because now, privacy doesn't exist. If you think privacy existed, privacy doesn't exist. Okay? I will show you examples of that in a second. But smart cities are coming. What we're doing, we have done a spaces on campus. We have several spaces that on campus. Those of you, I'll show you. Give we have a data visualization center we just came creating um, in the library that you can immerse yourself in data. We have an innovation hub that have some of these equipments coming out of it. If you had that, so we're putting a lot of spaces for university in the right places. Shake LA. I want you to download this app called Shake Alert LA. Okay, what it does, 15 seconds to 20 seconds before any earthquake comes, it will warn you. I know 15, 20 seconds is not a lot of time, but I gotta tell you, your phone is right next to you. Chances of you being right next to your phone is a lot. So if you got the alert from Shake Alert LA, and it's all LA basin. Go under the table, run out of your house, right? Stop the car. So they actually have created intelligence across the layers of LA basin that as soon as a, an earthquake, any kind of a small star shaking up comes in, it starts warning you. Warning you. So it uses the, some of the uh, sh small shakes that starts in here and usually about 15 20 seconds. They already tested about 15 to 20 seconds now. So, so people thought you, you can't, you, you, know, you don't know where that quick is coming? Yes, we do. Now we know where that quick is coming. Okay. Digital ethics and privacy. Organizations are busy, they don't have time for a lot of different social media. If you're going to pick one social media, Amir, what would you pick? Okay. All right, there are one billion Instagrammers. Okay, 100 million photos, videos, and social media. 4.2 billion likes a day. How many times you like, how many, how many times you like a day? Eight. Eight? 
Seventy-five-one-percent of U.S. business use Instagram in 2018. 71% of Americans between ages 14 and 24 use Instagram. I tell you, my, my son is 16. He has a phone. He, he answered to text because I text him. He hates to answer the phone call. When I call him, he says, what? And I said, what is not a proper response to your dad? Oh. Right? He says, and, and, and what means is why, he really wants to say why, <laughs> Why are you calling me? <laughs> right? But he's, you know, and so, so if I text him, he'll text back because he thinks that we're old, so we can only think respond to text. <laughs> so text is really for old people, just want to let you know. So the only way that he contact, today was, uh, you know, take care of business day. I took him to school, and uh, he has another friend there. And she said, you know, you know, to my son is, okay, do you want me to give me my phone? She says, he said, why? I have, I have, I'm a friend with you on Instagram. I'm following Instagram. I just Instagram text you, message you. So now the kids does not even want to text anyone. They want to call anyone. The only thing they do is Instagram messaging. So the way we communicate with now, with new generations, like the fundamental. This is the very, very future, both using Instagram and Snapchat. Those of you who know Snapchat, Snapchat is for fun, Instagram for really doing communications. They don't use Snapchat for communication, they actually use Instagram for communications. You know how he's, he gives birthday messages to his friends? He put a story. Okay? So again, the way we communicate is different. Esports here, the way we communicate. The Instagram is and is becoming one of the major things in there. So I'm gonna give you a trivia. 2019 estimated Instagram revenue is what? Eleven billion, seven billion, five or fourteen. What is it? Anybody? Is it 14? Anybody else? All right. It is $14 billion. Actually, they have a price. You were the advisor. You didn't know there was a price, huh? <laughs> so there are $14 billion estimate. And you know what it was last year? Anybody knows? I got another price. I'm going to bet half that's happening. Seven, correct. Seven. Here we go. You get And what it does is actually use AI to create you. You know, it was it was it was interesting because uh, my Gmail account. I want to give you an example of how privacy is not there. Okay. So my Gmail account is the one that I use on my Instagram. Okay. So my Gmail account is my Instagram account, right? My Gmail account is what also registered in Airbnb. Okay. So I went and, and this is what's testing. I went on Airbnb 
I all the way went to book something, but I didn't. Same house in Airbnb showed up my Instagram account <laughs> as an advertisement. So I just want you to know, privacy doesn't exist. All of these are connected. They're using you as a person. You know, it's how do you market to you differently? Me as a marketing faculty, I love it because now we can even do more, right? But but it's really a different way of marketing now. Different way of digital marketing is completely different. The way and this inner link of everything is completely different moving forward. And by that, I am going to do one more thing, then I'm going to stop. I'm going to do this, and we'll stop. So, so do you think if if a small organization can only do one platform because they only have time for it, it should be Instagram? Yes. Interesting. Today is Instagram. Mm -hmm. Today is Instagram. I want to thank you for speaking. Thank you. I brought everybody a power pack and a privacy screen for those of you to be private. So do you I have an ad that I like to use in presentations about technology. It's an ad from 1980, and it features the great 10 megabyte computer system for only $6,000 complete. And now we have gigabytes and soon zettabytes of information in our pocket on our phones. We have more computing power in our pockets than the entire space capsule for the Apollo 11 moon mission. So with all the things that Amir has told us, how will that affect us in the future? What does it mean for the social sector? Well, first, it means that we have to be better at putting information out that people can pick up on their phones. It also means that we will be automating anything that automates. A lot of jobs will give way to automation. It also means that we'll be giving up a lot of real life for virtual life. And if we're living in a virtual world on the computer, people will be starved for ways to interact with actual people in real life situations, which may be good for things like the arts and museums and theaters. We'll have new ways of training and educating people in classrooms virtually, which will make things a lot cheaper and easier for people to do seminars, classes, and webinars. Things will certainly change in the way that we do endowments. The Gen X generation, the Gen Y, and the Gen Z, they will not be doing things the same way as the baby boomers did. So when my generation, the baby boom generation, passes away, that may be the end of endowments as we know it. So do yourself a favor and build your endowment while you can. Those organizations with big endowments left from the baby boom and previous generations, they may be able to move far into the future and have time to change and correct course with the future because of their endowment. There are new ways of giving now. We have crowdfunding, chatbots. Charity Water did an interesting thing using a chatbot to give people a tour of their operation and their mission and connect them to fundraising. We all may be doing this in the future. There's online peer-to-peer -peer fundraisers. We'll probably be doing a lot more of those and less big galas in the future. Because I got news for you. Gen Xers, Gen Y, Gen Z, they don't want to go to big galas. People will donate by text and, and by voting. 
There is a real quest among funders now for innovation because our sector is trying to mimic the startups of the tech sector. Those organizations who have small pilot programs where they can experiment and allow opportunities to fail and learn from those failures and get back up, those organizations will be innovative. And those innovations will bring funding because that's what funders want. The shiny new object. And the shiny new object right now is innovation. Another opportunity for funding is VR tours. If you run a program in a place where it's hard for funders to go, like, say, foster care, prisons, other countries, other areas of the state, then you can take people on virtual tours from the comfort of their living room. And they can be right there in the middle of the program with you. A VR setup can be purchased for under $1,000 or rented for even less. Consider making a VR tour of your program. In marketing, we talk about three different kinds of media. There's earned media, there's owned media, and there's paid media. Owned media are the things you own, like blogs, YouTube channels, websites, social media. Paid media are ads. But the real sweet spot is in earned media, and that's where we all have to get better. Earned media are things like your podcasts and posts and blogs that go viral. When you can get other people to share the things that you've written, then you're earning media by getting things out to other sources. In the same way that we get out a magazine article or a newspaper article on what we do, that's also earned media. So how can we better start a conversation online that gets people to share our podcasts, our YouTube channel, our Instagram photos, our Twitter feeds? How can we get that information out there? If you want to keep up with technology, pay attention to marketing for smartphone technology. Become knowledgeable about social media marketing, apps, and chatbots. Make more constant evaluation of your programs and your marketing. And ask yourself, where can we automate? Where can we use technology to cut down on staff? Where can we innovate? Where can we pay more attention to pilots? And by the way, if you haven't listened to our podcast on innovation, check it out. How can we increase our in-real-life networks and partnerships? Because one thing that I've learned about social media is that posts don't go viral without in-real-life networks helping them out. The more in-real-life networks you have, the more viral your posts go on social media. And how can we keep up with software? Well, for websites, if you don't have the wherewithal to hire a tech person on your staff and you're not that savvy about how to create websites, consider using Squarespace or WordPress. Squarespace actually has really great templates, whereas WordPress takes a little bit more effort to create the visual look. Move your entire organization onto Google Office. If you don't have it, get it. It's free. And you can get the expanded Google Office for free through TechSoup. Use smartphone apps whenever possible. YouTube is a great place to get free training on almost anything. Use it and get your staff to use it as well. Create a YouTube channel or a podcast for your organization as great ways of getting your story out there to the public. Try using a VR setup to record your programs and put people right in the middle of the action. How can you use crowdsourcing to create better programs and be more innovative? How can you use crowdfunding to get funding for specific programs that appeal to a younger crowd? Use doodle polls to create meetings. Use Google Forms to create surveys. And remember that the biggest asset in the world is your mindset. If you approach technology as a drag, it will be a drag. If you approach technology as a help, it will be a help. Remember that if you change nothing, nothing will change. And you will fall behind all of the other organizations. We have to learn technology. It's not the future. It's here now.
Thank you for listening to 501c3BS, deprogramming for organizational growth. I'm your host, Zoo Velasco. 501c3BS is sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Gianneschi is spelled G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. That's G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First 100 Days, on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian choro group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS.